Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Well, we didn't have much sunshine today, but it was still a beautiful day. Amen? It's the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I hope you have your Bibles tonight. If you can, turn to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. We're still going through, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9, and we're still going through the, they call the typology. So it's pictures of Christ. We're going to be going through them for, for months, months, and months. Beautiful pictures as we look at the, remember Old Covenant, Old Testament, all the foreshadowing of the Old Testament, Old Covenant, foreshadowing what was coming in the New Testament. Again, the New Testament makes no sense without the Old Testament. The Old Testament makes no sense without the New Testament. And again, what I was saying earlier, you know, when you watch these things unfold, especially in the Middle East, you're watching, in a sense, ground zero for future pictures of what's going to happen as Bible talks about all throughout scripture when Ezekiel chapter 37 through 40 is speaking of a time yet to come now even still it's an exciting thing there's nothing to fear uh, perfect love casts out all fear my uh, a great hymn that I love my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus name I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only is God real but Jesus died on the cross for me and I'm thankful tonight that I don't have a promise that's a hope. I don't have something that is, well, we'll see what happens. I am hoping. No, I have a living, lasting hope. And I have, have said before, I would question you being in front of me before I would question the reality of heaven, the reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the freedom tonight to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I breathe my last breath tonight, I'll be transported in the presence of the God of all creation to hear what scripture says as his children will hear well done thou good and faithful servant that is the only thing tonight that i know beyond a shadow of a doubt you heard me say that statement you can take that to the bank that's what i'm thankful about that is not something that is a maybe that is a possibility that's one of those lottery odds no it is a absolute assurance and i hope you have that tonight and not only that as we look at this beautiful picture tonight of the foreshadowing of Christ, this picture of what Christ would do that we're going to see in the typology in Numbers chapter 21 tonight. Again, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9, and if you are able physically to, uh, the, this evening, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Eden, but the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke out against God and against Moses, Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread or water, and we detest this wretched food. Then the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit them so that many Israelites died. The people then came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that... He will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake image and mount it on a pole. When anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made the bronze snake, mounted it on a pole, and whenever someone was bitten and he looked at the bronze snake, 
he recovered. Father, thank you tonight again for this privilege we have to be here. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. It is steadfast. It stands the test of time. God, whatever needs to be done in our hearts tonight, Father, let your word lay bare what only it can. God, I thank you, Lord, that you'll speak to whatever need. Lord, the encouragement we need, the challenge, the conviction, and Father, everything in between. Lord, have your way in this midst, and we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Pretty profound story. Of course, we see this recurrent theme throughout the Old Testament when God's delivering the Israelites. What is this? This perpetual sin, God's demonstration of his faithfulness all the way from the moment that God sent Moses to deliver God's people out of Egypt after 400 years in bondage, in slavery. They were in Egypt. Why? Because God had sent them there via Joseph. Remember, Joseph had been sold by his brothers. It looked like such a terrible situation. How in the world could God do this to Joseph? Joseph hadn't done anything wrong. He had brothers that were extremely wretched. His brothers sell him into slavery. Joseph, no matter what, every time he gets a break, <clears throat> it's as if someone kicks him back down the ladder. Ends up in the house of Potiphar, right? Then ends up in the house of Pharaoh as a slave. What happens, remember? We had a, a dear wife that had a real bad la lack of credibility and character, accuses Joseph of doing something that he would not dare, and ends up in prison again. And it's through this series of events, though, that God ultimately establishes Joseph second in command. Profound beauty in all of this, though, is as God moved the, uh, Joseph's family to Egypt, why did God do that? Because there was a famine coming. And if the famine had not been foretold, through Joseph, the, remember Pharaoh's dream, Joseph interpreted it, guess what would have happened? It would have been wiped out. There would have been no plenty, there would have been no provision for the Israelites, and they would have ended up dying. So God's, God's supernatural power is sovereignty and how God transcends time. God knows what's going to happen, and ultimately as his children, God uses us in so many different ways. What did God use? He used a rebellious, really in a wicked uh, nation to bring deliverance and freedom at that moment for God's people. What does that turn into ultimately though? People that knew Joseph, the pharaohs that knew him died. Other generations were raised up that did not know what Joseph had done for the people. They didn't like the Israelites. What happened to Jewish people? The Jewish people ended up being slaves and in bondage. And this is where we see what God with Moses and God brings them out through Moses, and, and as they're going into the desert, God parts the Red Sea, delivers them, does all these miraculous miracles. We have the Passover. We see all of this only for within short period. What are the Israelites doing? Oh, God, why in the world have, have you brought us out in the desert? They're cursing the blessings, in essence, saying, oh, we had all this food back in, in, uh, in Egypt, forgetting the blessings of God. And then we see that and we go, man, I don't know why. If I saw that stuff, I would just be so faithful if I watched God do that. Oh, get out of here. We got the Holy Spirit of God living in us as believers now. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. Remember, that was a new covenant promise in the New Testament, which was brought at Pentecost when the promise, a comforter, the Holy Spirit, was given to followers of Christ. That's a New Testament, a new covenant promise. Old Testament, God dwelled in what? The temple. Not in the temple, which our bodies are now in New Testament, temples of the Holy Spirit. God was not able to dwell within us continually in the Old Testament. Why? 
Because there was no propitiation, there was no forgiveness, there was no atonement. And that's what Jesus became. So what happened is, is God forgiving us, becoming in Christ, the substitutionary atonement paves the way for the Holy Spirit to indwell New Testament believers. So this is why we will be held so much more accountable for our actions due to the fact that we're not walking in the Old Testament sense of being rogue, not having that strength, that power, the conviction, and all of the things that we have as New Testament believers. These are Old Covenant followers, and they're walking in their own strength. So when they start grumbling against, when they start grumbling, I kind of get it. Why do I kind of get it? Because they don't have what we have in the New Testament. They're walking in their own strength. Does anybody in here do well in their own strength? Is anybody aware of their own strength? I am. Because before I became a Christian, I recognized and looked back and realized how completely unable I was to do anything that wasn't motivated with a selfish, sinful proclivity, which is what lost people do. We live lost really well, don't we? And that's the thing. I recognize that. So I realized and I honestly sympathize with the Old Testament believers in recognizing how hard it would have been to live and honor God. Remember, you wouldn't have been Christ follower back then. You were a lover of God. And that is where we're at tonight. So we're at this place where they begin to grumble. They're grumbling at God's man. We're watching this beautiful picture of what has happened. And then Moses all of a sudden has them saying, wait a minute, you brought us out here to die. And listen to verse 4 and 5 again. So it says, <clears throat> So then they set out from Mount Hor, by the way of the Red Sea, to bypass the land of Eden, but the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke out against God and Moses. Why have you led us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water. We detest this wretched food. And the first thing that I want to share with you tonight is this. Sin is the poison that brings judgment and pain. We recognize the ultimate picture from the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve's, the original sin, as you call it. When they chose in the Garden of Eden to sin, that is that, what the, as often referred to as the original sin. So they engaged in that, and now, in essence, you're seeing this picture of the Israelites ultimately living as the manifestation of what the sinful condition of humankind is. They have a problem. They don't want to submit to leadership, and that's the picture of the sin nature rearing its ugly head. And I don't believe there's a person in here, as a, even a follower of Jesus Christ, is not battling the sin nature. But why is it so important, as I share with you continually, about feeding the natures? We have two natures that dwell within us, right? You have the sin nature that was the original inherited one we got from our father's DNA. It's passed on through the father. Why Jesus didn't have a sin nature? Because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So this sin nature that we are still battling even as believers. We have the, the God-man, the Christ nature that dwells within us. Now, if you have two animals, a, a litter of puppies has, what is that one they always refer to that's always smaller in? The runt. What is one of the issues with the runt? It doesn't get as much food, does it? It's not as strong as the other ones. So the natures, you got this, this puppy that's getting fed, these other ones, but then you have this nature that's getting starved. That's what the sin nature should, should be entailing, right? The sin nature should be starved. That's why scripture says flee immorality, right? We should run from it. We should flee it. Why do we do that? Because it's called starving the sin nature. 
What happens, though, when we're not in the Word, we're not in prayer, we're not spending time with solid brothers and sisters that encourage us and challenge us and sometimes might even need to rebuke us, right? Or, or say, hey, what's going on, man? You're, you're struggling. You're, you're, what's up? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I minister to you? You're not doing that. You get a lot of these people that refer to themselves as rogues, right? I, I do things my own self. You go right ahead. But I heard it today. I was talking to a fellow in Nashville today, really solid believer. I actually didn't realize I've known him for decades and we were, he was talking about how believers don't do well together. It's the thing that are, don't do well alone. How I talk to you about that all the time. And it was so interesting to hear somebody else say that. How did Jesus send the disciples out? Two by two. We don't do good alone. You don't need to be a rogue. Rogues don't ever spiritually do well. The enemy loves isolation. He wants us to believe that we can do it on our own. You don't need anybody. You're fine. You're a loner. You're a this. Yeah, you go right ahead and do that. I don't want anything to do with it because I know that mankind, it says all the way back from the Garden of Eden, what does it say is not good for man to what? Be alone. Starts in the Garden of Eden saying that. God created us relational. Very important concept. So sin is this poison, though, that even the sinful thought of feeding this nature that is the sin nature and starving your spiritual nature, and then you sit back and go, I don't know what the problem is. I don't know why my life is in the toilet. I don't know why everything's going downhill. It's not a trial, not a tribulation type thing. We try to, we try to label it as that, but yet it's a direct result of sin that we begin to, oh, God, I don't know why you do that to me. What are you talking about? God can do anything he wants to. He's the author. He is the potter. We are the clay. Who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God, right? That's what Scripture says. Romans chapter 9 says that. Who are you as the clay to say to the potter, why did you make me this way? God can do whatever he wants with the vessels that he has created. Imagine if your car said, how dare you drive me? Can you imagine if your car said that to you? What would you say? Mm, mm, you'd float, wouldn't you? I'll show you something. And then we get upset when God says, oh, well, really? I'll show you something, and God throttles us. Because that is the fact that the architect has the right to do what he wants to do with his creation. And I'll tell you word for word. Scripture says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's what I recognize. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. Have you? What is the price that we've been bought for? The blood of Jesus Christ has paid for us, and we are commanded to be a doulos, a slave to Christ. He paid for us. Who are we to tell him, you don't have any ability to do with me only what I want you to do? No, we can't say that you can say that. I'll just uh, assure you, there's a series of pictures um, that I saw many years ago. Somebody emailed me. It says, right before the pain starts, and it's these people who are getting ready to have a motorcycle wreck. The motorcycle's already wrecked, and they're right in the air, getting ready to hit a car, getting ready to hit the ground. Uh, one guy was in a bull, had run up to it, and the bull's horn was all the way up through his leg, and he was up in the air like that where the bull had gotten him, and it's the, all these titled pictures were right before the pain starts. That is what happens right before the pain starts. God, I'll do what I want to. God, I'll go where I want to. Who are you, brother, sister in Christ, to even question that I'm not where I need to be right now. Who do you think you are? Again, we are a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. 
The old saying that I say to somebody if, if I see they're struggling, say, hey, you okay? You know, hey, hey, back up. I don't, oh, you, trust me, you only said that to me one time. One time. Accountability is a two-way road. By the way, when I say that, do I have any benefit to saying that? Nothing. All I have is the potential for loss when I say that. But you have to care about someone enough to say that in the first place. So if you have somebody or people in your life that are willing to say the tough statements or ask the tough questions when they need to be, you better thank God and pray, pray for them that they'd continue to stand firm in that. But thank God that you have people that love you enough to speak truth into your life. Because those are the people right there, at the end of the day, when you're down and out at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, who are going to get up. Because why? You don't know them anything, and they don't owe you anything. They love you because you're a brother or sister in Christ, and they want to see you do well, and they care about you. They're the ones when the rest of your friends, your family, and everybody else says, no, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Or, oh, send that one in the voicemail. Or, the number you have reached has been changed. Uh, that sounds like their voice. Because those are the people that, and many times I call them fair weather friends, when things are great and everything's wonderful. Boy, they're right there. You want to find out when things go south, who your friends are? You'll find out real quick. I found out when I got hurt in 2004. It was like night of living dead. There was not a sound anywhere. Everything was like crickets. All the people that had had the fun and, and going and running and doing all of a sudden disappeared. Because, see, that's the sinful condition that's feeding selfish desires, selfish wants, selfish wills. And we're seeing this right here. It's sin. is that poison that brings judgment, brings pain. They were speaking against the leadership that God had placed in their life. And it was going to bring judgment. We see it right now. Look at verses 7 and 8. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. So you got the snakes that show up, by the way. They start biting them. The Israelites start dying. Then we got a, uh-oh, we made a mistake issue going on. And here we run into it. The people then come to Moses and said, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image mounted on a pole. When anyone who has bitten looks at it, he will recover the second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Without a cure for sin, eternal spiritual death is the price. So you think about it. Sin is the thing that people are, are bound in. They, they engage in sin. We are past the sin nature. We're seeing the parallels between that and Christ. Then you see, uh-oh, there is a payment that needs to be paid. You think about God and the love for us in sending Christ as the intercessor. Jesus put on a pole, raised up. You see this picture right there and the beauty of what God does right there. The Lord says, make the snake image, mount it on the pole. Anyone's bitten looks at it. Think about it. Anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So what is the cure here? The cure is to look to what God had made to save their life. Same thing with Jesus in the picture of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Conceptually, you can know the concept of it. But yet, if you don't act on the concept, that is what your brother and I were talking about on Sunday night. Religion is extremely palatable, meaning it sounds good on the surface. It's easy to be religious. It's very easy to be, really, you don't understand, it's easy to be religious. It is very easy to have head knowledge. Head knowledge is, in my generation, is rife with it. We're born with 
head knowledge, starting from the time that I was two weeks old. My parents drugged me to church. I knew all of the language and the lingo. I knew how to have spiritual conversations, and I knew all of these things. But until I was 29 years old, you know what I wasn't? I wasn't a Christ follower. I knew about it. I could quote scripture verses. I had read the Bible. I'd done all these things. But I wasn't a follower of Christ. That is a differentiating factor between someone who has head knowledge and someone who's had the 12-inch gap span. 12 inches separates heaven and hell, church. 12 inches from the base of the brain to the heart. If it does not transcend and go from here to here that affects this, that is the difference in dying lost and without hope and dying as a follower of Jesus Christ one day. 12 inches. That's why I share continually about Matthew chapter 7. I repeat those scriptures continually. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are there that go. And then what is the other? Narrow is the road. Listen, narrow is the road that leads to life. And this is one of the scariest statements, I think, in all of Scripture. And only a few find it. You think it's going to walk up on you and go, boo! No. Other scriptures say, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. By the way, that's New Testament. Let me tell you what an Old Testament scripture says. When you seek me with all your heart, when you seek me with all your heart, What's the promise? I will be found. Many people you know that have head knowledge. I won't even give you some of the quotes of Spurgeon because it might cause you to have stomach trouble tonight. Some other solid believer, solid, solid, godly, doctrinal believers in history I'll send you home tonight with your stomach in knots if I were to read you even four or five quotes from and I'll, I'll save that for you tonight because it might put you in such a state that you might literally not sleep till Sunday. Maybe it'd be a good thing to do. Maybe Sunday morning I might start doing that so you can smoke them over during the day and think about some of these solid godly believers in history, some of which led tens of thousands of people to Christ, quotes that are actually, they'll make your blood cold. You know why? Because they bear back all of the easy uh, honey that a lot of the statements get said with, and they just go straight to the heart of the matter, almost to the extent that John the Baptist said, basically repent or you're going to go to hell. <laughs> you know how many people don't like to hear that? You get the person standing in New York Times saying, repent or you will perish. John the Baptist says that. Oh, look at them. They're so judgmental. They're so, you know, what? That's stating a fact. If you love somebody, you want to warn them of impending danger, amen? By the way, Jesus died for you on the cross, and he loves you, and he wants nothing more than to adopt you, you to become a follower of Christ. Oh, I'm so judgmental and so bad. I can't believe they'd say that. It's so hurtful. Can you think one day when somebody would stand before, hell, before God and be cast into hell, you want to talk about something hurtful? You want to talk about something that may ruffle your feathers? 
Can you imagine something that would be no more earth-shattering than to stand in the presence of a holy God and, by the way, not be able to utter a word? Ted Turner said one day, I'm going to, I'm going to, hey, he's going to negotiate with God. Remember that Ted Turner said that? Never forget it. The owner of uh, TNT started Turner Network Television, TNT. He said, listen, I'm, I'm a negotiator. When I get in the presence, I'm just going to negotiate one day. I know the negotiation's going to happen. There's going to be no negotiation. Actually, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, period. I've shared with you the fact that Madeline Mary O'Hare, the one that started the national organization of atheists, died by the hands of her own people in the summer of 1995 in the desert after being robbed by them, her and her granddaughter, I believe, and one of her sons. Madeline Mary O'Hare was one of the most vile individuals that I think I've ever heard of. She had one of the foulest mouths of any woman that I've ever encountered and ever watched anything from in my life. You know, it's ironic because she disdained the very thought of God. She was one of the people responsible in having Bible and prayer taken out of schools. Her organization was foundational in that. And she disdained the notion, would curse the name of God, curse the notion of God, or anybody who questioned why she would be the person that she was and so hateful and so bitter and so miserable. You know what's wild? When she stood in God's presence in the summer of 1995, I know exactly what happened. She proclaimed Christ Jesus as Lord. The only bad part about that is Scripture says that that is done before you hear depart from me, you cursed one and everlasting. Basically, God said to her, thy will be done. Thy will be done. I don't know what happened in the last moments of her life. I hope she came to Christ. That's all I say. But with everything that she said and all that she was, if that did not happen, church, the only thing that could have happened is God do exactly what C.S. Lewis said and say, Thy will be done. I'll give you exactly what you want, which is to be separated from him, separated from every good and perfect gift. Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above, and the Father of lights from the Lord of love that doesn't change like shifting shadows. Let me tell you something. The old saying is, let's just be hypothetical. There's a 50-50 chance that I'm right and they're right. I know for a fact it's a whole lot more for me. It's 100% for me. But let me just give them that for argument's sake. If anything else I've spent since I was 29 years to whenever I, I die one day, living a quote-unquote moral life and serving the Lord. And by the way, I've had peace, I've had hope, I've had all this contentment. I've, my life changed on September 20th. Maybe it was a mental exercise that happened, right? Well, I'll tell you one thing, I'll take that mental exercise over who I used to be. And if I spent the rest of my life in a fairy tale of my own making, I've lost nothing. Zero. But let's say I take the other road. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's real. I'm, okay, good. Yep, well, you have also 50% chance, but imagine when you breathe that last breath and find out you were wrong. That's what I'm saying. There's a whole lot at stake. 12 inches is way too close to be wrong. Head knowledge never going here. Why do you think the Apostle Paul says, examine yourselves as he said himself? Examine yourselves. I'm going to examine myself. Examine to see if there's in the faith. Because there's too much at stake, church. Religion's deadly. A relationship with Jesus Christ is transformative. It changes your life. It changes your family's life. It transforms.
transforms you. The Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're watching unregenerate people in our story tonight. We're watching unregenerate people that, uh uh-oh, there's sin in the camp. There's death that's occurring from it. What are we going to do? I want to tell you tonight, there's death in the camp. We're born with a sin nature, a spiritual nature that is at enmity, at odds, at war with God. And only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, ready the free gift of salvation by grace and through faith, transcending the 12-inch difference between the base of the brain and the heart. By their fruit you'll know them. I ask you tonight, step back, examine yourselves. Are you in the faith? Are you lifted up? as the title of tonight's message. What about the cure for sin? There's a cure for sin tonight, but has it been applied to your account? Is the spiritual death that will happen one way or another if you don't? It's not only eternal physical death, but by the way, you're not dead. That's the problem. I call it being dead because being in a place like hell, you might as well be dead, but you're not dead. That's the problem. You're only spiritually dead. But you're separated from the only life-giving source, the creator that desired to dwell with us, to fellowship with us. And not only does he desire to dwell in fellowship, but when we were separated from him in the garden, God did everything to restore that fellowship because what? God's relational. We were created in his image. And God also desires to fellowship with us. He's relational. He went to extraordinary lengths to restore us in fellowship with him. Extraordinary. So think about what Jesus did. God goes to the end of creation and back, weaving together the most incredible love story in all of history, time, and space to do nothing more than to bring a creation that had told him to take a flying leap and pound dirt. I still can't understand that love. It's so intense and so unspeakable, unexplainable. Here is this creation that told him to go pound dirt, but yet all through history, this is a love story that from the very beginning, it says, get out of my face, basically is what mankind says. And the rest of the Bible is this, God's desire to ultimately restore what he intended in the beginning, which was to dwell with man. That's what we see tonight. That's what we're at tonight. The cure for sin, if it's not paid, if the the cure is not applied to the account, Eternal spiritual death is ultimately the end result for anyone who never knows the gift of life in Jesus, the forgiveness, the redemption, the cure. And then verse 9, and we'll be done. So Moses made the snake, the bronze snake, mounted it to a pole. Whenever someone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and recovered. Third and final thing, Jesus Christ provides the cure for the curse of sin, but will you look to him? Where it boils down to at the end, by the way, Christianity is not me adding Christianity to my life. Scripture says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in you. When I gave my life to Christ, it was about emptying myself of my wants, my wills, my desires, and me taking on the desires of my master, my architect, my God, my king. That's it. That's what the gospel message is. Do you want to live or do you want to live for Christ? Jim Elliott, I say it week in and week out, the missionary that was killed by the Aka Indians, him and the three others, Nick Saint, there's other, you know what I'm talking about if you were alive at that point. 
uh, through Gates of Splendor for the rest of you. Get, on, get online and watch it. He says this statement shortly before being killed. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We can't keep this life, not one of us. Every one of us, if anything, is more aware than ever that these bodies are laying down. You have loved ones that are sick, loved ones that have died in your lifetime, ones that have been in hospice, ones that have battled the conditions of the sickness of the sin-stained world. Maybe you have others that just died. That is the effect of sin and what it did to what God had created. Nobody in this world gets out alive, right? We know that. We've all been to too many funerals, so I will tell you something. If anything, the older you get, the brevity of life becomes clearer than anything else, the shortness of life. Well, all you had to do was read the Bible to know from day one that theme and that concept, right? Life is but a vapor. What's the old saying? The days are long and the years are short, right? Everybody here didn't notice that statement? And that's the truth. These years fly by just. Bob Carlisle in Butterfly Kisses says, like the wind, the years go by. And that's so true. I heard that. I think, um, as a matter of fact, my uncle brought it in before anybody had ever even heard it. They just got out of the studio with it. I was in the music business back then. He brought it over. He said, I want you to listen to something. He played it. I said, Uncle George, that's a hit. Because some other people had said it wasn't. <laughs> Those of you who know now, Butterfly Kisses has been a hit. It continues to be. And it's played at so many weddings, it's, it's unimaginable, right? But that song was written in the summer of 1995. 1995? How long ago has that been? Almost 30 years ago, right? It's been, what, 20, uh, almost 29 years. Just like that talked to a guy today that when I was talking to earlier that he knew a lot of the country music and a lot of the Christian singers and Vestal Goodman led um, George Jones to Christ after he'd had that wreck on remember the road going to from Murfreesboro to uh, Franklin and after Vestal heard you don't know Vestal Goodman right the Goodmans off the Gaithers man through the handkerchief man Vestal they were awesome but old Vestal old Vestal loved Jesus big time and he was talking today about how after George had that wreck man she went over there and shared the gospel with him and led George Jones to Christ and as a matter of fact, many, many years after George Jones had that happen, he had, he had quit drinking. A lot of people didn't think that, but he had stopped drinking. And after he had gotten, had come to Christ is when he had stopped drinking. But, you know, it's profound because I was talking to him about, you know, these people that we've known have just gone, they're, they're, they're gone. These people that I knew in the music business years ago, some of them were gone. Think about all, a lot of those people at the Gaithers. I was at the very first Gaithers ever in Indianapolis. It was so long ago, I don't even remember when it was. It was in the 80s, but all of those people that were on the Gaithers and y'all, most of them are dead. The only one that's outlived them all is Bill, and I don't know if Bill's still alive or not. I know he's actually alive, but you know, he's so old now, you go, good gracious, Bill Gaither's still alive? And that's what he was saying today, you know, Bill Gaither's still alive, good gracious. But listen, these people, have a home going if you're a believer. If not, you have a horror story coming. And I want you to know tonight, the same picture of this tonight. You know what would happen if these people didn't look to the snake, the image that was made? They died. They could know conceptually. Well, I saw the image. You can see the image, but if you're bit and you don't look to it, you're dead. The knowledge of it doesn't cut it, doesn't do it. 
We're not the ones that tell God how it's going to be, church. God's given us a prescription, plain and simple. The same way that if you have a staph or a strep-eating kind of bacteria and that's eating your flesh away and the doctor gives you a prescription, and by the way, you start to feel better, right? It starts to get better. How many of you, oh, I'm, I'm going to save some more for the next time. Yeah, go ahead and do that. You know what's going to happen when the rest of your body rots off because now you have a flesh-eating bacteria that will not respond to antibiotics because you're so foolish and you didn't follow what the doctor gave you to fix what you had? Don't do that. It's foolishness. The same thing if you get an upper respiratory infection. Finish your antibiotics. If not, I'm sorry, but you're a fool. They're getting these, these, these bacterias now that are not responding to antibiotics because these little good old country people, right? We are. Oh, we don't know. I'll save those for next time. I took half of them and I feel better. No, the prescription says to take it for 10 or 15 days. Finish it. If not, you've not followed the prescription the same way. You can have it up here. But if it never goes here, you'll go there. That is the truth of the gospel. It's not my word. It's not what I think. It's the truth. And I ask you tonight in closing, have you looked to the redemptive picture of Jesus Christ? Have you looked to him? Not in concept. Not in, well, I just don't want to go to hell one day, so I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ because it's the better of the two options. I hope it's not like that for you because you are extremely misguided tonight. You know why? Because salvation is about us understanding that we have an architect, a creator, that desires to fellowship with us. By the way, the byproduct is that we don't spend our eternity separated from him. You realize that? That is only a byproduct of what happens when we give our lives to Christ. A byproduct. That's something that's an afterthought. Your first initial desire should be to realize that life doesn't work unless we are in fellowship with him. That's what I never will forget. Fundamental concept of what happened to me at the hospital on September 20th of 2004 when I gave my life to Christ. I recognized that I wanted to walk with my God, my Father, my King. That's what I wanted. Didn't even think about, yeah, I don't go to hell. No, no. <laughs> that was not even a thought. My thought was, I want to walk with the God that created me. And brothers and sisters, down the road, I got to thinking, wow, I'm going to spend my eternity in his presence. Didn't even think about the other part because it was a non-issue. I, I want a fellowship with God. By the way, I just happened to recognize down the road, wow, I'm not going to spend my eternity separated from him. I'm going to be with my God. I hope that's your heart tonight. And I would ask every one of you to do what Paul said. Step back. Think about it tonight. Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And I mean in a real sense. I'm not talking about what mom said you did, what grandmother said you did, what someone said you did. If you're relying on that right now, I, I am cold inside for you in fear. You better have in your mind a time that you remembered understanding you were separated from God, realizing that Jesus Christ is the only one that can restore you in fellowship with him through his death, burial, and resurrection, and you remember the time that you were lost and you remember the time that you wanted nothing more than to dwell in his presence, to be restored with him. And through understanding that you're a sinner in need of a savior, you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and asked him to be your savior and the Lord of your life. That's what I want to know about. Because otherwise, 
You can roll the odds on whatever you want to odd roll on. But the Bible says it's an errand of a fool. Don't do that, church. Stand on the solid, steadfast truth of God's word. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Same way with baptism. People, I, I, you know, I don't believe I need to be baptized. Really? Why would your first act, if you're truly a follower of Christ, be disobedience? The Bible says repent and be baptized. Amen? So if you've not been baptized and you're a true follower of Christ, I would ask you, why not? Do you really believe that disobedience as your first act of a follower of Christ is going to be fine? No, that shows a heart issue, church. Well, I don't like crowds. You ain't want to go to heaven then. <laughs> if you know anything about the heaven and you don't like crowds, you're in trouble. You're going to what? Potentially be in a place where you won't worry about crowds. You'll get your isolation, by the way. You won't have to worry about all those people being all up on you. The Bible talks about hell being a place where you are in outer darkness and in isolation alone. So if you have a desire for that, I challenge you to get in the Word. You better seek God's face. I can't wait. Where I'm going to be, there's going to be billions of people <laughs> crowded around God's throne. And that's an exciting thing to think about for me because there's going to be people that I have one heart, one mind, one spirit, one everything with. And I hope that that's your desire. But if tonight things aren't what they need to be, I'd encourage you to talk to me. We're having an invitation. We've got plenty of time. It's early. Don't leave this building tonight without knowing that Christ Jesus is not just a thought, but that you know him as your king, your Lord, your God, your Savior. Because I want to tell you what he did. He moved heaven and earth. He sent his son who paid the price for us tonight so that we can live the life that he created us to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. So much, Lord, for your word, Lord, for these typologies we've been looking at and seeing the picture of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament as you were pointing to what was ultimately coming. God, thank you, Father, for nights like tonight, Lord, your word is just so powerful, Lord, and so encouraging, but also so convicting at the same time. God, I pray that during this invitation tonight, Lord, for ones that are maybe in the building or watching online tonight that don't know what would happen if they breathe their last breath. I pray tonight would be the night that you help them understand that they're separated from you, but also what it means to be a follower of Christ and cry out in repentance, Lord, confessing their sin and asking you to be the Savior and Lord of their life. And as they place their faith and trust in you, God, becoming a true follower of Christ, Lord, that lives the life you created them to and can finally experience the fulfillment that you designed us to experience in the context of your will and plan for our life. Father, thank you above all, Lord, for the free gift, Lord, that is by grace and through faith, not of works. I pray for ones tonight that are just struggling, battling, hurting God, whatever it is, Lord, we know that you're a God that says, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.